Hello and welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. On this show, we feature speakers from the most recent Ontario Association for Mathematics Education conference. Of course, that was a virtual conference. And so for all of this season, we've been featuring some of the voices that were supposed to be part of the face-to-face conference before it was canceled, but couldn't take part in the virtual conference. We're at episode four for this season, and this month we're talking to Tara C. Flynn and Shelley Yearly about their upcoming webinar entitled Unit Fractions, Unlocking Learning. So let's get right to that. Today on the podcast, we have Shelley Yearly and Tara C. Flynn. Shelley is a secondary teacher at Huntsville Secondary School. She's also the student success teacher. And Tara, uh, I'm going to, well, actually, I'm going to let Tara say what she is. She's an educator. She's a researcher. She's a a woman of many talents. But I'm going to let Shelly and Tara do a better job of introducing themselves than I just did. Shelly and Tara, how are you doing? Great. Great, David. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tara, why don't you go first? Oh, all right. (laughs) Thanks for the intro, David. I do wear many different hats and my path has not been exactly linear, but uh, most people in this uh, audience might know me from math education research that I've been doing with Dr. Kathy Bruce for the last 14 or so years, I think since 2007. So I was director of research for her research program and worked with Shelley for many years on our uh, big multi-year fractions research study. So that's a little bit about me. I I can go on. (laughs) How much do you want us to know? (laughs) I think I better jump in and save you, Tara. So I'm Shelley Yearly, and as uh, Tara mentioned, I was working with her and uh, Dr. Kathy Bruce on the fractions research. We did that for eight years. Uh, prior to that, I was a math consultant with Trillium Lake Lands District School Board, and in that role, had the honor of doing many projects, including some really fun things like OAME leadership and also math camp for five years. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I wrapped up my 18, 19 years out of the classroom a year ago in September and returned to teaching mathematics at the high school. And this year started another new job as student success teacher. So it's uh, a real steep learning curve for me, but I'm loving it. Now, this is the OME Talks podcast, and so I always ask our guests how they first either got involved or learned about OME. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your OME story. Sure. Do you want to go first, Shelley? I think you yours is longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I I was really trying to think. Like, I started teaching in 1993 and I think it's not a lie to say I went so I started in September 1993 I think I went to OAME in May 1994. I have a couple of really distinct memories of OAME that are kind of amusing so one 
is I do remember going to OEME leadership and uh, Jane Bennett and Ruth were uh, doing a session on junior mathematics and it was mind-blowing to me. I really enjoyed that. And I remember too that Myrna and I think it was Shirley Dalrymple did a session on um, the TI-83 calculators and uh, that was also quite amazing. They had motion sensors. It was very exciting. We could graph, we could project it on the overhead. So those things were super positive. And I always love OAME uh, annual meeting too. So, And you can buy that same calculator still. And it, it's used in classes. Very robust. It is. I just very actually very today moved a motion sensor that we'd been using in one classroom to another. So we're still using that technology. I suppose mine is a bit shorter, but I probably went to my first OAME, um, maybe even with you, Shelley, but it would have been in maybe around 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. And I think, yeah, up until last year, when, of course, the pandemic put OAME and all of our many plans and lives on a kind of hold. Um, I think I presented at least once uh, every at every annual uh, conference since then. So it's like, uh, yeah, I have such a warm spot in my heart for OAME. It's uh, I looked forward to it every year, and it's really um, kind of a homecoming. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my people, our people, (laughs) and it's neat to see how many people do come year after year year I know even after retirement yeah we have friends you know like really friends that we you know that I only see at OEME from the school boards kind of around the province that I met there and kind of bonded with there and um you know or that are you know kind enough or interested enough in the work we're doing to kind of seek us out and uh, come to our presentations and say hi and catch up. And um, it's honestly, by the end of the two or three days, I always go home with a creaky, like scratchy throat from last (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, pretty, a little, little tired (laughs) from all the action. It's the best. Yeah, I missed it this year a lot. Yeah, and and it's going to be sad that we won't be face to face again this year. Um, but you know, we are making we are making do with the situation that we have. Uh, hopefully, uh, by twenty twenty two, in Windsor, we'll be back to face to face. But yeah, I, you know, I like I love hearing the different stories about um, getting involved with OME. Um, you know, I myself, I've said this before uh, on the podcast. Um, you know, I started teaching around 94, but I didn't start getting involved in OME with OME till around 2000, right around there. I was just sort of in my own little bubble up until then. And, and, and it was a teacher, uh, my department head actually, who, who had been involved and in, in kind of pushed me in that direction. Um, and I think the first OME I went to, I actually presented at. Wow. Not having any idea what it was, I was presenting like the second session uh, of, on, on the, on the <laughs> Thursday. Very similar so. to my story as well. I think the first one I attended, I, I did a bunch of presentations at, yeah. How hard could it be, right? <laughs> Jumping again. 
I think, I think, you know, there's two other things I'd add not to belabor the point, but I think um, the first thing is that one of the cool things that Tara and I got to do too was introduce some of the teacher researchers who were part of our project to OEME and they in turn presented. And so I think OEME is really important, uh, is an important organization for building that kind of capacity across the province and, and uh, building teacher confidence in what it, the fact that what they're doing is important and worth sharing. Yeah. And um, I, like Tara, have a very warm spot in my heart for OME. And I think that, you know, there've been many writing projects over the years that have produced really high caliber resources. And I know there's one in the works right now that I'm not part of um, that is undoubtedly going to support teachers moving forward with the new curriculum. And I just, I think that component of OME is also really important for Ontario educators. It is hugely important. Um, you know, coming from my little world, like I I had said before, my path is not exactly linear. And when I went into education to do my B.Ed. in 2006, I was coming into um, a second career. I'd been working before that at the University of Waterloo, editing an environmental journal, and uh, went into teach. Uh, you know, went into teaching, and then also didn't end up taking the expected path there into the classroom, and ended up, um, you know, very, very much a blessing for me, and a and a stroke of luck to have been working with Kathy Bruce all these years and on the research side, of course, you know, everything that we do is based in classrooms and collaborative with teachers and working with students and everything like that. But um, coming from this sort of academia world um, where, you know, I've presented at a lot of conferences and um, there's nothing, thing that really quite compares to the spirit and the energy and the just the liveliness of OEME and those opportunities for um for teachers to go share listen just connect with each other um you know it's not like any other conference um yeah, it has, it has a lot of heart and uh, just a lot of energy to it. And I totally agree with what you were saying, Shelley, that, you know, the best moments um, involved us getting opportunities to, to either find funding or bring um, teacher researchers that we've worked with over the years to come and, um, and connect with that community. It's so important. So the, the, the fact that you're speaking about research seems to me a great segue into uh, moving into talking about what you're going to be talking about at this month's uh, OME Talks uh, webinar. Last spring, as everyone knows, we didn't have our face-to-face conference. We only had a very small handful of virtual sessions come out of the face-to-face sessions. And you're, you uh, had proposed, both of you had proposed this session called Unit Fractions Unlock Learning. And that wasn't part of the virtual session. So I'm really happy that you guys are going to be doing this session for us live in a couple of weeks. Um, 
without giving, uh, I guess, the whole session away, I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit of an elevator pitch as to what we're going to see and hear when when we come and see you uh, online in a few weeks. Maybe I'll start and Tara, you can jump in. Happy to. Okay, we've been working together so long, David, that we just know kind of you know, who's going to want to talk first on that one. (laughs) Um, So I would say that the eight core concepts are what we're calling them. And when um, we first started our research, just for context, it was one year of funding from the ministry to do um, some action research with uh, teachers in three boards. And, um, we went into the first board and the teachers wondered why why and how we would spend one day talking about fractions, <laughs> let alone the five days that we had booked with them. And um, by the end of the day, they were astounded that they had so little understanding of fractions. And I really want to quickly say, because we live in North America and culturally we don't do a good job of fraction. So it was no reflection on those teachers. Uh, In fact, I've told the story many times that I took this job thinking as a secondary math teacher, I pretty much know what I needed to know about fractions. And about three weeks into the research in September, I I just didn't know how I was going to get out of this because I was so overwhelmed by how little I knew and how much I had to learn. And so we sort of went from one year to two years and then we got more funding because we realized like we started just looking at junior and then we realized, oh man, we got to talk about primary, what's happening in primary, what's happening in intermediate, where does this go? We thought we'd only talk about represent, compare and order and we ended up moving right back to just thinking proportionally and right up into uh, multiplying and dividing, which it took us seven years of classroom research to get to the point where we could talk with teachers and students to do the research on multiplication and division. And so, yeah, I think the thing that we learned is that we don't have a good handle on the best ways to teach fractions in North America. And one of the key pieces that we often underestimate the importance of are unit fractions. And so we have uh, spent a lot of time trying to figure out how unit fractions weave through the learning and how little activities that don't take more time, but that are more effective with the time that you do have with students, support students in developing deeper understanding. Good job. (laughs) I was like, do you want to add something, Tara? And we're done. (laughs) Well, you know, the one one thing I did want to uh, say, I am very tired. I had a very long day, so my brain's kind of cutting in and out. But but the one thing I did want to say was that one of the things that we really don't didn't appreciate. And so now for me as a secondary teacher, and I am working in student success, so I am supporting kids who are struggling in math, is the importance of fractions in learning algebra and understanding secondary math content and beyond. So 
we had this misconception that because we don't necessarily use imperial measure formally in Canada, that we don't need to know fractions, but we actually see the impact of this knowledge on students. Uh, students' ability to access higher level mathematics. So it started out as something that was like an interesting research project. And then ultimately for me has become more of a mission around equipping students with the types of knowledge and skills that they need to live a better life. And I, I've seen that in the classes I was helping some grade 12 functions students the other day and advanced function students working with radian measure and so to go back to you know what's the unit fraction like you're dividing pi by six so each fraction is one sixth of pi and we can count them and to sort of do that very same activity that we're suggesting teachers do with younger students even right through to grade 12 to help them understand a new concept and i saw the power of it like the sense that the kids were able to make. So yeah, it's been really impactful across a lot of levels. So I'm, I'm curious, I think I caught you saying that we, we don't really know still how to teach fractions. Did I hear that right? Generally in the, in the classrooms, teachers have learned a lot. So Uh, if we asked teachers, this is something we used to do in our workshops, we would ask teachers to draw a representation of a fraction. We would inevitably get part whole fraction. Uh, it would be a half, a fourth, mm -hmm. maybe two thirds or three fourths. So they'd all be proper. Nobody ever thought of a fraction as being a number greater than one. Mm -hmm. And when we asked them to draw a picture, they would draw a circle, <laughs> which is the most useless representation for fractions. There's just no other way to say that. So um, now I've seen since the research has been ongoing and the presentations by ourselves and many other people yeah. have um, spread the word that when we do those activities now, we see a real shift in teacher response and we get a range. We start to see fraction as a number fraction as operator like I'm taking half of something or and we also see a lot more rectangles and number lines and more uh, mixed numbers or improper fractions so numbers greater than one so I want to be really clear that there we've, we are making really good strides in Ontario and teachers have been really gracious about taking the information and incorporating it into their practice uh, so, you know, we're still, we still have some learning to do, all of us, myself included. Uh, but I think that we're, we still haven't seen the tipping point in instruction overall, where we have consistency in the language. I do think the new curriculum is going to help uh, with that because of the heightened emphasis on fractions. And I think the clarity in the curriculum around the fractions uh, expectations too. Yeah, and I would also say that as educators, we come at fractions from a disadvantage of in the way that we learned uh, or were taught in school. And I think that 
you know, the, the very common lived experience that we hear over and over and over. And, um, some of us, including myself lived is, you know, we were really taught steps, procedures, algorithms. I never really understood, you know, what I was doing. This is the kind of thing that people are saying. I never got fractions like the teacher researchers that we're working with came to fractions with quite a bit of their own math anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, even with fairly confident teachers and students, the word fractions can really <laughs> help people um, and raise their, like, you know, their blood pressure quite, uh, quite a bit. We didn't have the advantage of, you know, uh, from a legacy of our our own teachers not understanding possibly besides how to produce a result from following a procedure, um, we didn't have the advantage of really being able to understand that fractions are quantities, that they are embody relationships, that a fraction is a number, it's a number that you can count. We have all kinds of counting experiences and to build um, young children's whole number sense. And we would never skimp on those opportunities for kids. But, you know, we, we don't we don't provide we haven't provided many opportunities for uh, kids or or even adults to um, to build their number sense in the same way. And so I would say the the learning trajectory that we're going to be talking about in this session, which we've refined over, you know, the eight years of research and then and beyond um, is, you know, really about us learning as adults too. Yes. It's a trajectory that kind of builds from, Um, earlier, more foundational concepts and up into operations. But because of the gaps that we have as adults in our own understanding, it's, um, there's a lot of professional learning and and just and mathematics learning and understanding for adults too. It's sort of why we've found the trajectory works in supporting students, as Shelley said, right up you know, into grade 12. Uh, we really did all this work with, um, in K to 12 when we were working, at, when the research was active in classrooms. So we've kind of tested those theories out on a really wide swath uh, and age of students and with adults as well. You know, and I wonder if, if, part of some of the problems that we're running into is that even among teachers, I think um, because of the way that we were taught as, as uh, students, um, there's probably a, a fair amount of teachers that, that feel that the way we teach fractions is fine. And as evidenced by all their yeah. students who can get the answer. Yeah. And um, you know, my, myself, like, I I can I can manipulate fractions very well, but I don't think it was until the, maybe the last ten years that I really did start to understand 
what it was I was actually doing. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of the research that, that you guys have done has really helped to inform me, uh, you know, whether it be the fraction learning pathway or, or all the other workshops that you, you've really dug in with fractions. And so, you know, I, I think that it's important to, for, for teachers to know that it's, it's not just about uh, understanding how to manipulate fractions. It's, yeah. it's, you know, learning fractions, like learning how to understand everything about fractions, not just how to get the answer. Yeah. And in, in the same way that we want a student to look at a whole number like 42 and recognize that it's four groups of 10 and two more, or that it's two groups of 21, like that you can decompose it and recompose it in many different ways. We want students to have that same flexibility with fractions. So we want them to understand that fractions can represent different types of relationships. And also that you can take a fraction apart. If you have seven eighths or one in seven eighths, even better, that that is eight eighths plus seven eighths, or that you can uh, write it as 15 times one eighth, or that you could write it as a half plus a half plus a half plus three eighths. And so as students start to see the increased, uh, if they, as they start to have increased flexibility with fractions, then it translates into their problem solving skills and they're more comfortable, I think, uh, based on what we saw in the research, they're more comfortable to let go of the algorithms and just think reasonably about the question. So if the question is added, asking them to add two fractions, they're thinking about what they're actually adding and maybe they're drawing a picture to help um, or using a, a tool of some sort of manipulative. and. And then when they get into high school, what I've seen is that students who have that kind of flexibility are able to extrapolate that to um, algebra applications or even into geometry applications. And so I think that that's the type of uh, outcome that we're looking for is that we want students to have that same flexibility. And I think a lot of the times uh, again, you know, it's it's just the reality that we live in. Um, sometimes we teach at a grade level or at a course in the high school, and we don't necessarily have a sense of where students are going to be applying that knowledge later. And so we may inadvertently uh, handicap them by either not developing that kind of understanding or giving them a workaround, you know, like a little trick for doing something. So we're really trying to, um, in this research, make it easy for teachers to let go of the tricks and really focus on developing that flexibility. Yeah, and I would, um, I would just add to go back to something you said earlier, Shelley, and it brought a little, little tear to me eye <laughs> when you said, you know, you're on a mission, and it really is about giving students access to knowledge that's going to improve um, their lives. I mean, through what we came uh, to understand in our years of doing the research and why we did dig in so deeply is because we came to realize that understanding fractions is a, is a gatekeeper. And there are some who don't get to pass that gate. And if you don't pass that gate, 
then algebra is cut off for you. And if algebra is cut off for you, then all higher maths is cut off for you. And so if you are a kid with a lot of aptitude and you want to be a nurse or a doctor or a marine biologist or an engineer, um, and you, but you struggle with fractions as a kid, all of those career paths may be cut off for you. And so we do really believe in it as a mission because we see if there's one, you know, if there's one thing that we could help to improve um, or, or support, I guess is a better word, in our education system and in the lived experiences in the classroom, it would be fractions. Mm-hmm. And I think just on that note, I would just reiterate that we're not talking about more time on fractions. It's different time on fractions. So the counting that we're talking about would be something that a teacher could do for a couple of minutes. I know one of our research um, teachers did the counting at the end of the day. She had a grade nine applied class and at the end of the day for the last five minutes they played the counting game Um, the kids loved it they wanted to do it every day and it built their fraction sense and then she saw them solving algebraic equations really beautifully without getting hung up on fractions the other thing that we're we're talking about is using better representations instead of circles and so strengthening the, the go-to references that the students have moving through their math careers later so that they do have the longevity and serve them well into high school and beyond. Yeah, and we really bring in the, uh, I think we, you know, I would also like to give a shout out to spatial reasoning. <laughs> right. There is that too. <laughs> Part of that, you know, of this of the more meaningful representation, but the um, you know, and other people might be aware of the similarly long research study around young kids in math and spatial reasoning uh, with Dr. Kathy Bruce and um, myself and many many educators and students in Ontario, and uh, we you know brought that under that emerging knowledge and our experience with that, bringing that in to the work with fractions so that, you know, students have visual tools to do the kinds of decomposing and composing that Shelley's talking about. You know, I have this little like anecdote about, you know, my, my mom, who's was a teacher herself, (laughs) adorable, brilliant. And we love her. her. (laughs) And she, she, you know, one time I was visiting there and she's like, Oh, I could see her kind of the paper and uh, pencil and like trying to remember something, scribbling something down. She was so frustrated. And she's like, Oh, I've got half this recipe. What is half of two thirds? And she was trying to, you know, do I invert and multiply? What do I like? She's trying to think of what the algorithm is. And my dad's like, Noreen, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, you know, one third and one third, like half of third <laughs> is going to be one third. But that, that little story sort of really 
um, sums up the problem with our overemphasis mm -hmm. on procedures. And like Shelly said, we get locked into, you know, this is, oh, I know I have to do something. I, I don't know what it is, but I have to manipulate these somehow instead of being able to visualize. I have a little nephew who I've also been working with. And the other day I asked him, I thought it was going to be a trick question. And I was like, okay, so I have, I, I have a Play-Doh recipe um, and I need two thirds of a cup of flour, but I'm going to double it. Ooh. And he's like, it's four thirds. <laughs> really? That's your question? <laughs> Like, oh my god how do you well how do you know that he's like because i don't i don't have a big enough measuring cup to do more than three-thirds so i know i know that i'm gonna need two two-thirds so i'm gonna have one whole cup three-thirds plus one more so I mean, you could say it four thirds, or you could say one cup and one. And, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but that's, you know, that he has a strong mental schema, visual schema mm -hmm. that he can manipulate that and make sense of it. That's a great little example of what Shelley's talking about about mm -hmm. to reason and not go blind the way my mom did. You know? <laughs> I was thinking maybe your nephew could give your mom some fractions lessons. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe they should cook together or something. <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> After COVID's over. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, uh, now, I don't want to keep you all, all uh, night. You guys, uh, like, clearly are passionate about fractions. We told you we um, talk a lot. <laughs> and, and that is fine. I, I am I am down with the conversation. But um, I do know that you, you are working on a book, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about, uh, I assume, on fractions. Yeah. Uh, and if you could tell us a little bit about that, and, and maybe when can we expect that, or when do you expect yeah. to be done the writing, and then we'll, when we'll see it? I'm going to let Tara answer that question. <laughs> Well, and that makes sense because I'm, um, I'm sort of the main um, editor, project manager, I guess, mm -hmm. of the book. Um, but yeah, it is it, it finally starting. We are starting to make some progress. It's been in the works for a long time, and there have been some different interruptions, not least of which was the global pandemic. But it's we expect it to be out in September 2021. That's the goal. And it's right now the working title is Rethinking Fractions. And it's a focus on the word, you know, it's with Pearson. The book's given us an opportunity to refine our thinking even more around the learning trajectory that we started to develop in the form of the fractions learning pathway. And so we're sort of taking that thinking to the next step and um, really getting even more precise and trying to um, also, in a way, make the uh, learning sort of more accessible even um, for teachers to to dig in and to follow. Yeah, we're really 
unpacking the what we've boiled down to the essential um, concepts that we know from our research have seen that um, students have these in place. They have a, that fractions number sense that is our goal. And we also, the really exciting thing about the book is the focus on assessment. So there are assessment uh, questions that were uh developed through the research and we're refining those and putting those together in a way that teachers can administer those in different ways depending on what their needs are on what they need to learn about their students and use that data to inform instruction and have a map to um, be able to identify you know I don't like to always use the word gaps but let's just say where where thinking is fragile and um and to shore that up and to take students thinking to the um kind of the next level would you add anything there shelly i think you nailed it tara damn why i like working with you That seems like a great place to end it when when you when you nail the fraction book description. I think we call it a night. Good job all around. Thanks so much, David. I um, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk with you about this. Oh, can I just say I almost forgot. I think that in our session on the thirteenth. Um, oh yeah, that Kathy Bruce is going to be joining us. Oh, special guest! Special guest! Oh, very nice. <laughs> yeah, so very excited about that. It's um, yeah, I think that's pretty well confirmed. I I feel like that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't we sort of didn't dare to hope because I know Kathy's schedule is you know even crazy or we're you know everyone's busy she's you know next level busy so we hardly dared to hope but it looks like she's going to join us so for people who uh can join us on the 13th um you'll have the the whole team together Together again things back together You heard it here first. That's the scoop <laughs> for uh, the Oimi Talks podcast. Uh, that Kathy, Dr. Kathy Bruce, will be uh, with uh, Tara and Shelley at uh, our Oimi Talks podcast on the 13th. Oimi members can register on the MCIS registration site. Uh, Tara and Shelley, thanks for talking with us today. Thanks so uh, much. And uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks. That'd awesome. be great. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. That was Tara Flynn and Shelley Yearly giving us a glimpse of what they'll be telling us about unit fractions at this month's OME Talks webinar. Clearly, they enjoy what they do, and OME members can see and hear more of them and, as we heard, Dr. Kathy Bruce during this webinar on Wednesday, January 13th at 8 p.m. Registration can be done at our OME MCIS registration site, and that link, as well as the link to the Fractions Learning Pathways site, now hosted by OAME, can be found on the podcast description. Next month, we'll be talking to primary teacher Ruthie Sloan about building and assessing spatial reasoning through play. 
Until then, stay tuned and stay safe.